So you've got this. So the, what, we're on, what we're on top of is the burial mound, yeah. which would have had a really kind of uh, clear structure, clear yeah. shape, circular. We've shape. been clearly circular, really well built. And what they've done basically in the in Victorian period, someone like Mitchell would have would have just come in, dug a trench from the outside straight into the centre of the burial mound, with the intention of finding what they would call um, the primary burial, right. which is what they would assume was the most important person. Right. They'd assume it was a man, you know, it's a very patriarchal society back then. Yeah. Even though, as we've worked out before, it's just as likely to be women or children. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're digging and trying to find this this central burial. In actual fact, it's you're just as likely to get a burial towards the edge of the mound as you are in the centre of it. So, you know, it's it's a bit of a false economy what they were doing, but they'd come right. into the middle until they found, like, some treasure, and then they're like, right, we're done, and then just leave. And they wouldn't rebuild it, they wouldn't bother finding anything else out about it, they'd just, just ditch it and go. Right, yeah, yeah. And this is a classic example just here. Yeah, you get the big trench dug into one. Yeah, and this is just to the right. How do? Hey up. I'm JD. And I'm Max. Welcome to Hiking with Howl, a podcast from the outdoors. Each month we're going to go for a walk somewhere in the UK. And we're going to bring you along for the tour. Each episode is accompanied with route information and a map on our website at howlbushcraft.com. So you'll be able to take this walk yourself and listen along in real time as we guide you through some fantastic landscapes. Or you can listen during your morning coffee, commute or wherever you want an immersive, audible experience in nature. If you're joining us for the tour, make sure you have a full map and the skill to read it. This recording is meant to be a supplement for your own hike, so one that acts as a navigation tool. You'll need to find your way on your own. There's also a post on the blog at howlbushcraft.com with tips on what to carry in your backpack, and you're always advised to let someone know where you're going and when you're due to be home. Be sure to take time to ditch the headphones on your hike too, and listen to the sounds of the wild. We'll give you cues to know when to pause and start the podcast to get the best of your tour, but equally, if you're listening at home, sit back and enjoy as we take a wander through some of our favourite environments. Think of us as your audio companions to highlight points of interest and generally offer some conversation during sections of your walk. If you listen at home, enter an immersive experience of nature. Crunching leaves, trickling streams, high winds at times and two friends holding discourse in the outdoors. So for the listeners at home, I'm meeting Robin Heath, uh, our mountain leader and canoe uh, canoe coach, canoe leader. Canoe leader, I suppose, yeah. Our bushcraft. And, a bit of uh, both. A bit of both. A bit of everything, really. <laughs> um, so we thought on this episode of Hiking with Howl, we'd meet you uh, out here on Big Moor, just outside of Sheffield, to do um, the Stone Circle Walk that we've been leading as a tour all summer long. Yes. Um, and kind of bring, bring you along as a free audio tour so if you missed out this summer and you want to uh, find out about this area and, and learn about the stone circles this podcast episode will act as a as an audio tour really um so we're going to go out onto bigmore um down to barbrook is it that's right yep down to barbrook um right out onto the edge where we look over the eagle stone and uh, looking white over the, to white edge is that yep. right yeah um and then kind of do a big loop back so obviously you've got the um, maps and all the information on the podcast page at howbushcraft.com and 
yeah, without further ado, I suppose we'll get started. So we're just leaving the cars um, near the Owler Bar roundabout and heading out onto Bigmore. Um, the first stone circle is what about so 10 minutes down that path yeah. down this path yeah. yeah for people that might not be kind of a have any sort of awareness of what it is we're looking at can you just tell me a bit about sort of what time period they're from and just yeah maybe okay. in, just in general kind of a background covering of what stone circles are so um the stone circles are all associated with what's called the cairn field right so all all the eastern moors in the peak district um and chances are a lot of other areas in the country and, and maybe even like the, the, the valleys of the peaks and everything were at some point inhabited by, by humans yep. in the past. Um, there's just there's a, lot of, a lot of remains have survived on the eastern moors because it's only been used for, for grazing and shooting basically. Right. Whereas the valleys and, and you know, the limestone areas of the peak district have been... Have been cultivated you know been plowed they've been built on yeah they've kind of continu continually been inhabited over yeah time. exactly and, and that, that sort of farming that agricultural farming is it just destroys archaeological remains basically yeah because they're just constantly digging things up they've yeah. also built all the the dry stone walls and the limestone so you know you, it could quite easily be that half the dry stone walls you see around the limestone are the remains of ring cairns burial mounds that have all been stolen and put onto walls but sure. there's no way of knowing because well, whatever evidence there was isn't there anymore yeah, so all there is left really in the peaks is 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 the remains upon the moors um but anyway so what we get is loads of cairn fields so there's there's um there's cairn fields on every single moor um they're all around 300 meters to 400 meter altitude you didn't really get them above above that okay um, well, 250 to, to 400 metres. Um, and each cairn field is full of cairns, first of all, obviously. Yeah, piles um, of stones. Piles of stones, yeah. Some of those have burials in them, so they might be burial mounds. Some of the cairns are just clearance where some farmers, some prehistoric farmers, have literally just got all the rocks and chucked yeah. them in a pile. And we'll so, see, see a good example of that later on. Won't yeah, we? yeah, yeah, we will, yeah. Um, some might be field systems, some might be hut circles. Um, but stone circles are basically the first thing that gets built in each cairn field when, when uh, people move into the area. Okay. So they're always the oldest thing. And that's, that's uh, recognised by things like carbon dating, um, thermoluminescence dating. Right. Um, Fancy um, science stuff. Science stuff, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. All right. So an area becomes inhabited. The first thing that goes down is the stone circle, we think. Yes. And then, and the, then, the, then inhabitation starts. Exactly, yeah. Well, I mean, you could assume that if they're building the stone circles there, that's they've already inhabited it. So, you know, they move in, they build the stone circle. Um, they might have been living in tents, you know what I mean? They might have been doing all sorts before that, but whatever it was they were doing before the stone circles were built, there's no record of it. I see, yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, um, if it's all kind of natural reasons. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more later on, won't we, when we talk about um, deforestation. Yeah, okay. But, um, so the stone circles are built and then after that that's when you start getting the clearance cairns and the burial mounds obviously you're not going to get the burial mounds as the first thing they're not just going to arrive and then die you yeah. know what i mean like so <laughs> it usually takes them a while to die before they've arrived yeah sure um and then you get um in conjunction with the with the clearance cairns you're getting the field systems so uh, we'll see some vague rectangular structures later on that could have been fields they could have been all sorts of Real. boundaries yeah, um, yeah and the stone circles themselves were the first thing 
again, nobody really knows why they were there. It's okay. assumed a lot of the time that it's some sort of ceremony. Um, but what that ceremony was, nobody really knows. Yeah, you not get any evidence. No, it's 3,000 to 4,000 years ago. Nobody okay. Cool, nobody so that's, knows. that's how old these things are then? So kind yeah, of so they're Bronze Age. Bronze yeah. age. Right. So the stone circles themselves are early Bronze Age. And the, the Neolithic, which is the Stone Age, the new Stone Age, that ended around 3,900 before present. Okay. Um, so about, you know, about 4,000 years ago. Yeah. Um, so sort of within, in that kind of transitionary period then? Kind of yeah, that's in, when the, into the Bronze Age. Exactly. Yeah. So, so this this kind of arbitrary um, division of, of ages of you know Stone Age, Bronze Age, Iron Age, Roman period. It's it's, yeah. it's kind of nonsense, really. Like people people talk about it, but in is reality, it like, is if one day everybody just put the stone tools down and picked exactly, up bronze exactly, tools. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So people didn't just stop using stone tools and use bronze tools. Like stone tools were still used well into the. Iron Age, and even yeah. into the Roman period, you know, there's evidence it was still being used after the Roman period. So, yeah. you know, so it's, it's, yeah, it's a bit of a nonsense categorization, really. Yeah, but in terms of just kind of framing, you can kind of get, sort of get your head around at least the, the vague. That's right. Time yeah. period that we're yeah. talking about. And that sort of so thing. this yeah, is cool. these are Bronze Age remains, um, and it's, it's really it's more categorized by the difference in remains rather than. The use of bronze there's yeah, never been any bronze found up on these moors on, on this on this walk yeah okay so you know it's not they weren't using bronze the, the stone tools have been found up here yeah okay. but but nothing else really um the difference really is is between neolithic remains which are the big mega structures that we talked about before like your stone hinges and things like that there's yeah, even okay. there's a hinge not far from here called arbor low yeah which is a much bigger stone circle and a big bank a big ditch okay and that's the remains are significantly smaller than that. And that's the kind of main difference between the Neolithic and the Bronze Age, is cool. the type it's of remains left. like a cultural shift then at that point. That's the, it, the yeah. Em emphasis yeah. on what Things are less big, less impressive. Yeah. Um, it's almost like the actual settlement itself is the monument rather than the actual yeah, monument. Like maybe more of a shift towards the... I mean, it's all theoretical, but perhaps a shift towards the people rather than the monument. That's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And the Neolithic people are much more nomadic. The Bronze Age people were much more... Farmers settled in one yeah, area and stayed there for a while. And that sort of thing. That's it, yeah. Hence the field. Um, Hence the, the field system. Field system yeah. we're going to look at later on, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, what we'll do is we'll get on. We've got Luna the dog running about as well, so if you hear any heavy panting, don't be alarmed. It's just a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and what we'll do is we'll let the intro music fade in, I reckon. I've got some beautiful little intro music if you've not heard it. <laughs> we'll fade that in and we'll pick you up just as we get to that first stone circle. Great. Cool. So at what point do we, how do we know where we need to leave this path robin to get to the stone circle? Um, so I just kind of know where it is. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a funny one this one because it's in the wrong place on the OS maps. Okay. So it is marked on the OS maps, but it's marked about 200 meters southwest of where it actually is. Okay. So you're walking on this path from, from the road, but it's on the left. Right. Um, just after this small valley here that, we come, that we've just passed. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, whereas on the map, it's marked down off to the right, about 100 metres so down this small valley. So towards the kind of dried up old reservoir down Towards there. the reservoir, yeah. So yeah. Um, it's so just before a little tree that's on its own before the reservoir. So that's where the map says. That's where the map says it is. Completely opposite. Exactly. So you quite often see people path wandering path. around there trying to find the stone circle, but it's actually up here. 
cool. on on the left. All right. Well, maybe I can make east. a I can try and make a reference to where it is on the map on the podcast page. Yeah, that's probably the best thing Just because there's no real features here. There's no real way of navigating to it. The best way would be to walk down the path and just look out for a very faint path going off to the left. Yeah, it's kind of like this little sort of rabbit trail almost, isn't there, where people have yeah. um, walked it in a bit. But then even when you're actually stood on the stone circle, it's quite hard to see, isn't it? We're stood on it now. Yeah, so this um, is one big stone that you can see from the track. That's right, yeah, this is the biggest stone. But even from standing on the stone circle itself, you can only I can only see two others, two other stones. Is that yeah, it's, it's pretty same? vague, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah. can see two, yeah. But with that, because we know it, we've been here quite a few times, I can kind of get my eye in and see the bank, see the, the ring cairn of the stone circle. I can also see a small cairn off to the right here, which could be a burial mound. Okay. Um, so I'm right in saying this is probably the, in terms of uh, sort of me as just a hobbyist, sort of casual walker, Yeah. the least impressive of the stone circles. It's, yeah, in terms of someone who's, who, yeah, doesn't really isn't an archaeologist or anything like that then yeah it's probably one of the least impressive however it is the biggest yeah so it's, it's in terms of diameter it's, it's the biggest stone circle here it's just got the lowest stones um and that's because it's not been excavated right it's not been excavated now and it's um the, the main kind of cairn field so the cairn field is the is it's like the settlement and the, the rest of the remains of of whoever was living here and building these stone circles okay. is kind of off to the north up there and they're all really low cairns as well right. and they're, they're, the remains are quite overgrown as well so you can't really see much of it so a lot of this here you don't really you can't really see much i think that's probably the reason why it's not been excavated but also because it's marked in the wrong place on the map yeah nobody knows where it is they don't don't visit as much yeah so a lot of the other stone circles is an area in the area like barbara one barbara two they're marked on the map yeah. And there's an obvious path going straight through the middle of them. So everyone sees them and walks around them and makes it more defined. Yeah, sure. Whereas this one isn't. Unknown. Yeah. And so is this relatively intact then underground? Like it's not never been excavated and it's totally intact as far as as far as we know, it's totally intact. Yeah, you can still when the when the grass dies back towards the winter, you can see the bank a lot more a lot more easily. You can see okay. the stones a lot more easily and you can see that it is actually quite yeah, relatively undisturbed and, and intact. Brilliant. So yeah. as as we walk around this ring then yeah. I'm noticing that we've got these on our left, these sort of intermittent rocks sticking up. Yeah. What are they like a particular part of the stone circle or are they Yeah, so so a stone circle is it's it's obviously a circle of stones. Yep. Okay. Um but in the Peak District in the in the Bronze Age, a stone circle is also always has it what's called a ring cairn. Right. So you know what a cairn is, obviously it's a pile of rocks. Yeah, yeah. Um, a pile of rocks in a ring, in a circle, would be a ring can, basically, cool. with yeah. a whole, like a donut shaped oh, can. Sounds, sounds yeah, good exactly. So far. Yeah. <laughs> the actual stones of the stone circle, the standing stones in there, are called orthostats. Right. So, not all ring cans have orthostats. Right. So, there would still be a stone circle, they're just, they're a ring can as well. You know what I mean? They, they, they don't have standing stones. I see. Yeah. Whereas all stone circles with standing stones have a ring can. Yeah. Does that make sense? Hi, Luna. <laughs> Sorry, Luna's just attacking us at the ah, moment. <laughs> hey! <laughs> I'm being um, bitten. Should we have a walk around? Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's count the stones, actually. One, two, three, four, four five, six, six, six yeah. Seven. Seven. I've got eight. Nine, Nine, ten, ten, 
11, 12, this is a fair amount then eh? It's quite a few, yeah. It is quite big, like, that's 13, 13. 14, 15, 15 16, 16, 17. Some of the stones are probably buried as well at the moment. Yeah, I mean, some of this grass is pretty high, isn't it? What are we up to? 18. 18, 19, 20. This one. So there's 20 stones. Cool. And if you bear in mind, like, some yeah. of the other stone circles, like nine ladies on Stanton Moor, it's like a nine stones. Originally, it would have had 12. Yeah. A couple of them have disappeared. Um, Hodge and Edge, I think, has got maybe seven or eight. Right. Um, do you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's a lot of stones in this one, and yeah, that's just what we can see through the grass. And that's so probably, probably like a lot what? more underneath as well. And, um, and it, it's like, what, about 10 metres in diameter, that? At least more like 20, isn't it? Should we pace it? It's a fair it? way. We could pace it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, let's do it, yeah. It's quite, it's quite wide. It is, yeah. Like I say, it's hard to get a picture of it with the grass being so tall. Yeah, we'll start from this one. My paces are almost exactly a metre. Yeah, go for it then. So, you, I'll let you count it. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. 20. 20, exactly. Yeah. Cool. All right. So 20 stones and 20 meters. Yeah. Nice. And so this is the biggest one on the moor, right? Biggest one that's been found, yeah. Yeah, okay. There might be more. Probably not. But, you know, you never know. They are never finding know. more all the time. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, in terms of diameter, it is the biggest. Cool. So if yeah, we... Um, so, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, maybe if we... Um, we carry on on the path then yeah. down towards the next mark so what yeah, something to bear in mind about this whole landscape actually is that we, we found that difficult to see that stone circle then because the grass is long if you imagine three or four thousand years ago during the bronze age and late neolithic this whole hillside the whole moorland would have just been forest yeah so yeah. you know there's this the, the moorland itself isn't isn't natural this is like totally man-made environment made by um, heather burning and, and grazing from cattle and deforestation that's, that's produced this. And if we were, if humans were to disappear and leave the landscape alone, this would regress back to mixed deciduous woodland. Beautiful. Um, so if you think that we couldn't see that in the grass, it'd be really difficult to see in the forest yeah, definitely, several thousand yeah. years ago. Um, yeah, it's actually hard to imagine it being here surrounding forests, I suppose. Yeah, it is, yeah. Because we, we're so used to seeing it as moorland. Yeah. Well, I suppose if we look over there towards Garden's Edge and Burchin's Edge, then... Yeah, you get more of an idea. Yeah, that's more over towards the southeast. Yeah, sure. So I suppose any idea that they might have been, like, way markers or something... It kind of goes out the window. Yeah, because they're yeah. so hidden, yeah. It's also very different to, like, the the, the typical stone circle that, that people think of, like Stonehenge and Avebury, that the massive stones that are the size of a house. Yeah. Like it's it's just not that kind of monument, is it? No. Like the stone Stonehenge and stuff in, in back in the Neolithic was was definitely a big, purpose-built monument that's supposed to be impressive and supposed to be, you know, formidable. Whereas these things, they're just nothing like that at all, which kind of adds to the debate about what they are. Yeah, which, adds you know, to the mystery. Which, yeah, exactly, adds to the mystery, which is what I find so fascinating about them. Brilliant. So nobody really knows what they are and why they were built. Coming out and looking at them, such a Cool so thing to do, I suppose, 
I think that's what a lot of the people that got, you know, they got that out of these walks when, when we were running them as a tour was that, you know, as well as just being a nice walk in the countryside, there's these cool, mysterious things in the ground. That, exactly, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's good fun. to just talk about it, isn't it? Because everyone came up with all these really interesting theories. Oh, yeah, they? in terms of conversation, there's all sorts of yeah. about it, isn't there? Some pretty wacky ones at times. <laughs> there is. <laughs> but look, let's, we're sort of cracking on on the path now, so we're just coming... Uh, alongside a, um, a drained reservoir, they drained it in the 90s, you said? Six, oh, was it the 90s? Yeah, 96 was it or something? 96. I can't remember exactly now. Something around that. So we're going to walk past that and carry on um, carry on, on the route. What's the next thing we're going to kind of bump into really of interest? So we're heading down in towards Barbrook, um, which is where the, the water came from for the reservoir originally, and then we're going to head down towards an old pack horse track. Old pack horse um, track. Oh, with the little pack horse bridge over there. That's it. So you're going to go over a little pack horse bridge um, and then we're going to head alongside a smaller reservoir um, which so, people use for wild swimming at the moment and then we're going to follow an old pack horse route that, that pretty much got disused around the 1800s but was in use, well originally thought it was in being in use from medieval period but yeah, let's, let's talk about, we'll that, talk about that a bit more when we get there. Yeah, we? definitely. Alright, so if we, um, if we leave listeners here to carry on their walk um, and we'll pick yeah. them back up at that pack horse bridge next to the reservoir. Yeah, cool. Brill, okay. That's perfect. Nice one. Um, oh, there's a deer there, see it? Oh, yeah. So up on the left, on the on the eastern side of Barbara, there's a, there's a, there's a deer, there's a stag. Yeah, big game. Big crown of antlers sticking out from the grass. Yeah, so I'd assume that there's probably going to be a few yeah, females. Yeah, will have his harem knocking around. Yeah, what's a female deer called, Jodie? A doe. A doe? Doe. I knew, I knew that. <laughs> I've just made myself sound really stupid, haven't I? <laughs> well, I answered it as if you didn't know. Instead of answering it like, oh, thanks for the cue, Robin. A uh, female deer is called a, ro- a doe. Um, I just went, no, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but they're just in rut, aren't they? Like you were here the other day leading a walk and they got all the roaring going off all around. Yeah, you. they were making some real noises. It was um yeah, quite quite interesting really. Yeah, yeah. it's impressive, isn't it, how they can how, how loud that vocalization goes. Not the sound you'd expect a majestic beast to <laughs> make really. Yeah, this you've got this kind of elegant um sort of you know, beautiful gates of a deer just strolling around, head held high, you know, all this beautiful antler. And then it's just going, <laughs> Come here. What's this? I'm just going to put her on the lead so she doesn't chase that deer. Here you go. Yep. Good girl. Yeah. That's great. So we're just coming down then. Um, I've noticed the path structures significantly changed yes um, so this is a track now isn't it yeah and we've got some what look like fairly old bridges yeah are these i think these are more recent actually these bridges it's, it's it, a lot of it was messed around with when they built the reservoir okay so this track isn't the original pack horse route it might be the, the original route of the pack horse route but yeah. this has certainly been modified and, and yeah, modernized yeah, you can see when, that. yeah. And as has this bridge, I believe. I think the next bridge might have been more original. Okay. Um, but they essentially stopped using this pack horse route by the time they built the reservoir and, and, and made this more accessible track. Brilliant. Okay. Um, which we'll talk about more when we actually get onto it. Cool. So for people listening along then while they do the walk, we're just about at the little reservoir 
um, in the bottom of this valley. Um, beautiful little spot actually, you can see why it's popular with wild swimmers. We've got, um, it's kind of lined with alder and birch trees. I think there might be a, a willow down there as well, and a couple of oaks. Um, it's a beautiful little spot. It's only, we've only been walking now about 30 minutes, I think. Um, obviously waffling yep. a lot while we're doing that as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, quite, quite a popular spot and it is quite beautiful. So as you're coming down this track and you see the little reservoir in front of you, at your end of that reservoir is a little bridge, beautiful, low, kind of below knee height stone bridge um, with the stream running into it, uh, feeding into the little, little kind of reservoir there. Um, and so the suggestion is that that's possibly the origin, one of the original Pycos bridges, but maybe not. Maybe. It's hard to tell really, isn't right. it? It's, um... Well, that bridge, if you look at it, is significantly smaller than the last one. Yeah, yeah. And it's much narrower, much lower, much less well-built. And I think that's probably indicates that it was designed for kind of less traffic and, and certainly sure. less less large traffic. Yeah, yeah. yeah but it could, it could be. It could be a more modern thing. It's hard to tell, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I guess the, the, even if it has been rebuilt in modern times, it would have repurposed a lot of the old stone. That's it. So even kind of trying to tell from the look of the stones might be different. Yeah. But it's a beautiful, uh, it um, looks like a Pacos bridge, even if it's a recreation. It does, it does, isn't <laughs> that it? That yeah. kind of classic yeah. look. Because I, I got told the low wall was to account for the loads across the Pacoses, so the, the, the Pacos could walk through the bridge, but it might potentially have quite a wide load on it, which wants to obviously pass over the top right, of the wall. Yeah, okay, yeah. So if you imagine if you've got like a, a stone wall that's up to your shoulder, yeah. you're just going to have kind of, um, okay. hey, oh, yeah. you're just going to have that three stooges effect where people, just, the, the horses just plow into the wall. Yeah, get yeah, they get wedged. That's what I got told anyway. That would make sense to me. I mean, if you look at the bottom of it actually, it's quite well worn, isn't it? Around, just, just to the left of the archway. Yeah, yeah, it looks weathered. Yeah, whereas the top looks less weathered, so maybe yeah. maybe the top is maybe it's just rebuilt. been restored or something. Yeah. And on the right-hand side, look, the mortar's a lot. It's like different, isn't it? It's thicker and looks less less well-engineered to me than the than this left-hand side. I don't yeah, know if that's yeah. been rebuilt as well. But it's certainly played with, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, getting up close to it now, you can see how it's there's some kind of well, it looks like quite a lot of erosion on the detail work of the posts, mm. but actually then. The rest of it looks pretty crisp. Yeah. So yeah. Beautiful. Anyway. But so we're um oh, some wild swimmers in the water at the minute. Oh yeah. We've got a little orange buoyancy thing. Yeah. yeah. Cold daylight today, I don't fancy it myself. No. Yeah, we'll carry on the walk, eh? Um, um so we're we're crossing that little bridge and going up towards um a birch and an oak tree. Yep, um, through a bog. Through a bog. Bit mm -hmm. of a bog today. This is as bad as it's been actually since I've done these. Yes, well, we had a bit of a, a fun episode with the last stone circles hike. Somebody just brought trainers. Oh yeah. And um, to, to get her across, I got her to stand on my feet as I was stood <laughs> in the bog. And then she did that fine and then immediately fell in the water straight afterwards. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so we're crossing that bridge then. We're coming up. Uh, so we're going to pass with the reservoir on our left um, into a line of uh, oak and uh, alder trees. These almost look like they've been planted on purpose, what do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think it's probably um, probably something to shelter the water perhaps even. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Um, just protection for the reservoir. 
but yeah they clearly not uh you wouldn't get trees naturally just clumping like that and nowhere else on the in a line yeah. Yeah. yeah although i suppose trees would grow first in the bottom of a valley would they next to the water that... yeah well they just need shelter don't they i suppose so you want um if if let's say you did get seeds blowing into an area where there were no trees yeah then the seeds that have got a bit of protection from the wind will have a better chance of getting established and growing and then what typically happens is so you can get actually quite a good effect if you've got an, an open area with tr with kind of naturalized tree growth and um, where there's a strong wind you can get what's called the wedge effect where the trees that are close you know sort of on the on the windward side <laughs> we've got luna the dog going going crazy um not interested in my super interesting story about trees i am though good <laughs> Um, yeah, you get a wedge effect. So basically, the trees that are on the windward side, they're getting battered all the time. So they have a really hard time growing and getting getting strong. But they they create a bit of a windbreak for the trees behind them. Right, okay. And then the trees behind those ones have even more of a protection. And so you get this wedge effect where the trees on the leeward side um, grow taller, faster, than the ones on the windward side. And right, so you get this okay. wedge. So yeah. you, if, you, if you can see that in a landscape... It gives you a pretty good indicator of the prevailing wind. Right. Um, so yeah. if they've all been planted like any you know, planted at a similar time, you get this this effect. Ah, it's really interesting. That's, yeah. Because you said to me, there's um, you could there's a few little ways to spot the prevailing wind and therefore navigate it on moors, isn't there? Like the, the the way the bracken falls down towards the end of the summer and. Yeah. So you've got like again in kind of big exposed areas, um, and now so we're in October as we're recording this. <laughs> We've got all of this year's bracken dying, but it dies, um, once it's dead, it persists for a couple of years. It doesn't rot away completely every year. Um, so you get these kind of layered um, structures of, you know, maybe three or four years worth of bracken. And because it gets blown down as it, as it collapses, they don't just kind of drop vertically to the ground. They get pushed over by the wind. Right. Uh, and that affects averaged out over, say, a few, a few weeks or, or even a few months over winter and um, what that does is it gives you an average so you just get mostly you get bracken laying down in the direction the prevailing winds blowing it down okay yeah yeah um, and it might be so again the the trick with natural navigation is to it's more about being able to sort of put your detective hat on and figure something out rather than rather than me saying uh, you know all bracken lays down towards the northwest yeah that's not what it is it's about looking at the bracken and observing how it's how it's working here in this environment and it might be that you know there could be a big massive hill that's skewing the wind into this particular valley and blowing yeah, it in so one okay. particular direction so because we're in a valley here it could be funneling the wind up yeah, and changing yeah, the, yeah exactly yeah. so whereas right. up on the top you get more of a read so here in the uk prevailing wind comes from the southwest so most of the bracken will lay down in this kind of from southwest uh, sorry mixing them always yeah from southwest to northeast um tangent so yeah. all of the factors aside if you've got an open bit of landscape you'll get bracken laying down in that direction and you also get it then laying down consistently over a large area so even if you've noted the bracken in your area is not pointing that direction yeah over that space it will it will largely lay down Kind of all in parallel to each other okay, so you just yeah. get you can get like local 
sort of compasses or local guidances where you can go, okay, well, on this particular hillside, all the bracken's pointing to direction X. And so then as you're traveling, as long as you keep a clock on where that bracken's laid down, that can then be your compass. Yes, okay, that makes sense, yeah. yeah. Just to kind of keep you on a bearing almost. Yeah, so I've yeah. done it before, like just walking in fog rather than having the compass out the whole time. Um, you can just, you know, if you keep a sort of vague tangent with the bracken, then mm. you're keeping a rough sort of uh, average direction. Makes total sense, yeah, I've never thought of it like that. Yeah, but I like doing stuff like that because it, it, again, it's sort of, you're using the landscape to navigate the landscape. So rather yeah. than having a tool that you've brought with you, it's kind of all cohesive then. The whole experience is a bit more kind of tangible, I suppose. Yeah, yeah um, that makes sense. Not that I haven't got a compass in my rucksack <laughs> at this point, but it's it's a nice way, when the stakes are pretty low, it's a nice way to just be out and enjoying the outdoors. Yeah, yeah, it makes total sense, yeah. I'll definitely use that again next time I'm taking people up the mountains. There you go. In the winter. <laughs> <laughs> I get a call from you in some emergency shelter somewhere. Saying, oh, <laughs> Bracken's pointing this way. <laughs> Where am I? <clears throat> the so Bracken is... lied. <laughs> So um, this is a, an interesting bit actually. We're now we're now walking down the Barbrook Valley. We're up on the on the side, and we walk along the original course of the Packhorse route. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Okay. But on our right hand side now is is a trench that's been dug out as a as a leet. Yeah. It's like a feeder stream for that small reservoir back there. Okay. And there's a couple of places, wasn't there, where there was a bit of a concrete v dug into the side of the of yeah the, like a sort of, of funnel or something of the path that's right yeah to just to funnel the water into the reservoir okay. and this so this was the pack horse route and since the pack horse route stopped being used it's they've had this dug in here and it kind of makes sense why they do that because there's, there's already a naturally flat area yeah. from the pack horse route it's that they just reuse yeah. yeah exactly so that would suggest that the reservoir is actually younger than the pack horse route which which you know knowing what we know and what we'll talk about in a minute is true. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm just gonna. Yeah, so it's, it, it's not you're not to think that the pack horse route was leading people to a reservoir. No. It was that the reservoir came afterwards. Yeah, and exactly. That this route yeah. was. Um, I mean, we'll talk about it in a second, won't we? But the route was kind of a way into Sheffield. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> beautiful little spot this isn't it like looking down that, that oh, valley there gorgeous the... this time of year yeah yeah all that i love how when bra you get bracken like that where it's almost like yellow yeah it's all different it colors isn't it? like yellow red green yeah orange that's great and then all the little kind of willow trees in the bottom yeah um should we stop here and talk about this bit quickly for a second yeah sure yeah yeah so we're just uh sort of just rounded the bend haven't we sort of coming in towards that stream valley yeah so we're at the junction of, of a little side stream that kind of goes off towards the west and where barbrook itself bends around towards the east from the reservoir um and it's an interesting little spot <laughs> get attacked by a dog <laughs> um because we've got about one hundred twenty thousand years worth of history here <laughs> Lena's not gonna stop is she mm -hmm. She's so eager to learn about ancient history. She is, she loves it. Should we start that bit again? Ah, you can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I quite so, like the sort of natural introductions <laughs> of being out on the hill. So we've got this stream coming in from the right, our right, which is this is the west. 
and then we've got Barbara coming in from the north and then they, they join and then they head down towards the east over there. And straight in front of us here is a load of boulders. You see them yeah, all under the bracket. Yeah, yeah, quite big ones. Yeah. So that's that's a type of what's what's called boulder scree. Yeah. Um formed by a solifluction deposit. And a solifluction deposit is basically where the ground's frozen and thawed and frozen and thawed and um and kind of almost become like a fluid and it's cracked up all the rocks okay. and it's it starts to flow downhill and fill the bottom of this valley. Really? That, like long, long time period. Yeah, yeah, a long, long time ago. So that would assume, well, th that, that would only really happen during a glacial period, during an ice age. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So we know that, that that rock formation there of those boulders were formed during the last ice age, which, which ended around 11,500 years ago, okay, called, called the Devensia. This valley, therefore, to have something for it to flow into, must have been there before the last ice age. That make sense? Yeah, I'm yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, so, the valley on our right must have formed before the last ice age, which they so must have formed at, at the very latest of 120,000 years ago, which is just quite, it's quite interesting. I find, yeah, I think you know so, what yeah. I mean? And you can just recognise that just from looking at a set of boulders on the side of the hill. Yeah, it's amazing. The stream itself. It's got a load of sediment in the bottom of it, which has been filling up since the last ice age. So filling up for eleven and a half thousand years ago, and that was used. Um, the, the archaeologists who dug this area and researched this area dug through that sediment yeah. down to the water level and used that to build up a kind of a, a picture of what was going on using carbon dating and using pollen analysis and beetle analysis and stuff like that. Brilliant. And they worked out what was going on in the environment just from this small valley here and this small bit of sediment. So just a, just a really interesting spot. We head around and, and have a look and, and talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, let's go on the corner. Yeah, it's coming. Like, how uh, how have you come to know all this stuff, mate? So, so I used to I used to work at Sheffield University. I used to I used to teach on an environmental sciences degree for the Institute for Lifelong Learning. Awesome. And we used to run this this walk we're doing now as a full day field trip. Yeah. So we used to spend. 10 or 11 hours wandering around the hillside talking about all this sort of stuff. Brilliant. Um, obviously, we're condensing it a little bit for this walk. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I used to run that. My background is actually geology. Um, but after several years of, of running this with an archaeologist and an ecologist, it's kind of, you, you pick things up. Yeah, and also, sure. archaeology is like a real interest and, and passion of mine as well. And my mother was an archaeologist and I've you know, picked up a lot of things from her, picked up a lot of things from university. I did a few archaeology modules at university as well, so Brilliant. It's, a, it's a big interest. That's cool, man. Yeah. And am I right in thinking that it was your mum that um, did the survey on the stream we've just crossed? Yes, yeah. So she dug this particular area, Dr. Anne-Marie Heath, and another section a bit further up, which we'll, which we'll look at in Fantastic. a minute. So yeah. what, what did they get from kind of digging into the stream then? Um, so... Here, they, they went back about 2,000 years. So they, they got about 2,000 years worth of sediments out of this bit. Um, and then they hit stream, and you couldn't really go beyond that because it just kept flooding everything and washing everything away. Sure. But further up this valley, if you follow this valley up to the head of the stream, there's actually a, quite a big bog, big marshland. Okay. And they got another section out of that that went back 4,000 years. Cool. So between this section and the one up there, they got a good, a good description, basically, from the end of the the end of the um, Neolithic, the end of the Stone Age, cool. right up until present day, basically. So Fantastic. you know exactly what's going on in terms of pollen, in terms of radiocarbon dates and things like that yeah. for the last 4,000 years. That's brilliant. And um, so from, from those 
pollen deposits you can build up a picture of what the landscape looked like at that time yeah exactly yeah okay. and vague, yeah the ecology of the, of the landscape and okay. things like that yeah. so they, they basically found that during the at the end of the neolithic of of all the pollen that was found in the samples in the section 75 percent of it was tree pollen yeah cool okay. so that's trees like um elm lime oak yeah. Um, the kind of the natural big trees that you would yeah, get. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, like mixed deciduous. Kind of yeah. Natural woodland. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then what they found was towards the Bronze Age, that reduced to maybe 60%. Okay. And then towards the Iron Age, that reduced to 40 or 50%. Right. And then at the end of the Iron Age, it reduced to 20%. Wow. Up to less than 5% in the most recent sediments yeah so you, you can see there's like a real decline a real real period of deforestation particularly towards the iron age so that's particularly towards like you know five five or six hundred bc okay um should say bc should i so two and a half thousand years ago yeah um yeah that's kind of what was going on yeah and what so do you know what was happening like in england at that point in history in terms of like the people and society and stuff like why it was deforested um, I mean, I think I think just increasing population probably didn't help. Okay. And people needing to build more structures and yeah, using firewood and, and weaponry and things like that. Um, but also things like mining came into came, oh, yeah, became more popular. Yeah, like iron, iron mining, lead mining, especially in the Peak District, lead mining was a big thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it has been for you know a couple of thousand years. And just you know the smelting process, you need wood for that. So there'd be a lot of copper tin going on. Um, you'd just be clearing vast tracts of land just to find minerals at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Using it for frames and building structures and you know, ladders and also. So it's just, wood just became a very valuable commodity, basically. Yeah, and I think just with the increase of population and the increase in farming and stuff like that, it was just. Right. Yeah, so people. It's just more and more demand for it. Using the forest for its raw materials rather than kind of living in it. And yeah, exactly. It. Yeah. And there the, the weren't, there wasn't this hunter gatherer situation anymore which, which is less kind of strenuous on the on the environment it's, it's more you know agriculture which yeah, yeah. they didn't really need to be wandering around forests they didn't really need forests as much anymore if, yeah. if anything forests were forests were a bit of a pain way. yeah 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 well you were saying i think it was you that told me that like once you get onto iron age plows you can then plow fields and yeah and you get kind of your big kind of destructive farming practices. that's right yeah 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 okay um, um all right so we've um, come up from that stream um and we've uh, come across a standing pillar. We have, uh, we with have. some stuff carved on it. Can you tell me a bit about that, Robin? I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is what's called a guide stoop. Cool. Um, it's basically a signpost, Right. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. It's a really old signpost. If you look at the date on this, it says, I think it says 1770, is that six? Six, is I think. Five, it's kind of hard to see, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's weathered off. I, I'll go this with this five, I think. 1770 something yeah um and it's basically on one side on this side that i'm facing now which is i am facing about south east at yeah, the moment i guess so yeah. uh, it says to sheffield um and then if you if you go 90 degrees to another side you'll see two tideswell this side you can't see anything because it's been destroyed which we'll talk about in a minute and this side i don't know what that says a tb T? I, I read it as 737. 737, oh maybe, maybe that's the height in feet. It could be, yeah. Um, I'm not sure what this says here. 
But anyway, so what you do is you walk up to the stone and you'd see, if you face in the side and it said to Sheffield, then you look to your right okay. and that way is Sheffield. So where we are at the moment, it's actually a junction of, of one, two, three, maybe four pack horse routes. And we can see one that Luna's just run off to. To the, Down to the stream, yeah. To the east there, <laughs> towards the stream, which has two Sheffields. So that way is Sheffield, where we've just come from. Yep. That's the pack horse route we just walked on. This one says two Tidewell, which is the direction that we're going to carry on, that we've come from, and we're going to carry on in that direction. Yeah, okay. And so, this way... Because so, people are going to be listening to this and doing this along with you. Yeah. So I am stood facing the Tidewell side of this this guide stoop, and I'm going to now put my right hand out and walk in that direction. Yes. So up that hill. Yeah, so cool. it's to, your, to your right. To your right, yeah, that's, that's great. And then this side would have originally said to Baslow, I believe. And I only know that because another guy stoop further on says Baz, Baz yeah, on it. Yeah, it's been... So basically what's happened with these is... Um... <laughs> Luna. <laughs> um, yeah. The dog's getting impatient. <laughs> she wants to get to Baslow. She does want to get to Baslow. She wants <laughs> one of them Tideswell puddings. Right. Um, the, the, the rock itself is covered in little pock marks and it's, it's, it looks weathered, it looks damaged, but it's actually not. It's actually, it's not weathering, it's, it's bullet holes from the Second World War. Awesome. Um, and all the dry stoops up here are just riddled with them, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, like fully destroyed to like twiglet level. That's it, yeah, they look like twiglets, don't they? <laughs> like, yeah, knickknacks. Um, whereas this one is probably the most intact one, actually. You've got, you've got a whole face here that's, that's fully intact. Um, and basically what they, they just use it for target practice a lot of the time. This one here, because it's in the bottom of the valley, it managed to survive being shot, not okay. as much as the rest of the, of the stones, basically. Yeah, not as easy a target. Yeah, it's not as obvious from up there, is it? From, from the top of the hill. No, no. Um, the ones up there have, have been really shot and they've been blown up. Some have been chopped in half. Some have actually been intentionally picked up and turned around by the army at the time. Um, and the reason for them shooting them so much and blowing them up, firstly, is just because it was fun. You yeah, know, sure. if, if I had a gun, I'd just shoot stones. Yeah, sure. like, definitely. Yeah, yeah, especially but, if you're in the dad's army and you just got nothing better. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, but there was also a, a practical reason for it as well. So they intentionally shot, blew up, destroyed, and spun around these, these guys to signposts because if any German paratroopers landed in this area, they wouldn't then be able to find Sheffield as easily, basically. Ah, cool. yeah, so yeah. that's why they did it. Sort of almost like self-sabotage. So yeah, so they sabotaged these things themselves so that they wouldn't tell the Germans where they were. They were they were out of use anyway, so so no, there was no... Yeah, it's, it's not like you got people walking down here going, oh, I don't know which yeah. way my house is. I'll the use bloody the army blowing the signs, I don't know where we are. So <laughs> yeah. basically this pack horse route was, was... It says here 1776, but that's just when the stone was put in, not when the pack horse route started. Okay. So 1776 kind of marks this law that was that was introduced around that time that basically said that any trade routes and, and tracks and paths that were that regularly used had to be well signposted basically okay. so they put that in for that reason but then they built a road which is um off to our east which goes from baslow to ola bar and that was a that was a toll road um when they built that this track here basically became obsolete because okay. it was a much better road basically yeah sure um, there's still a few people using this because this is free and that one wasn't you got yeah, tight we're, Yorkshire. Yeah, we're still in Yorkshire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it pretty, pretty much wasn't used from that point onwards. So, so okay. after this guy's suit was put in, it was only used for about another 20 or 30 years anyway. Yeah, so after yeah, that, it, it pretty much didn't get used. But another interesting thing about this area is that they originally assumed that these pack horse routes were, were, were in use from the medieval period. So, you know, 1200, 
sort of time. Right. Whereas the sediments that you get from the bottom of the stream here that, that were found in the section prove a, a totally different story. So um, the Peak District villages out there are first mentioned in the Doomsday Book. So that's, ten, I think it's 1086, is that right? Um, anyway, so it's know, William yeah. the Conqueror's census of the land, Doomsday Book. Um, but there definitely was settlements before that because you've got Roman forts in, in places like Bruff, you've got Roman roads over there as well. Yeah, okay. um, so there's definitely something going on before that. It's just nobody really knew how big these settlements were or how substantial. So it was assumed that the medieval periods when most of the villages came about. Right. But the sediment in the bottom of the stream kind of tells a different story. So in the Neolithic period, all you're really getting in the bottom of the stream is, is really fine mud, which is pretty normal for an unaltered forest hillside. So little layers of fine mud from when it's rained and the little bits of sediment flowing down into the stream. Yeah. But then the more deforestation you get, the more sand and, and like kind of bigger particles you get in the bottom of the stream. The reason for that being there's less forest. So the substrate's less solidified, less um, solid, basically. Right. Um, so every time it rains from that point on, you're getting more sediment being washed down. Yeah. From around 500 AD, you're getting like massive layers of sand. Oh, okay. Uh, like, on a much more frequent basis. So and it's a real sudden change at around 500 AD. Yeah. And the main theory for that is that Something's causing more erosion in this area all of a sudden. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, and with you yeah. so far, yeah, yeah. So that would be this Pacos route. Ah. So suddenly this Pacos route started to be used. Yeah. There's way more foot traffic around here, way more erosion from, you know, horses, horses. and people walking yeah. over it. Carts and things, wheels, chairs. That's right, yeah. Like Surface runoff has increased because of the kind of packed down path yeah. that's all been trampled down. And way more sand has been deposited in the bottom of that stream. So that stream actually says that these Pacos routes started being used around 500 AD, so just at the end of the Roman period. That's amazing. Which would suggest that they're coming from somewhere, you know? Yeah, they yeah. They wouldn't have a Pacos route just going to nowhere. Yeah, or from so nowhere. So. That's right, yeah. So there yeah. must be a significant enough human population out in the Peak District, out in the White Peak, yeah. for there to have been actual trade with for, them. For a trade route, yeah. So, you know, there must have been something going on around that point. We know that the Romans were there, but... You know, maybe some a lot of lead mining, maybe the old lead mining villages were starting to be used, like Stony Middleton or Eam or Castleton. Brilliant. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they're going for, maybe they're starting really early mills or something. Nobody really knows what they were doing, but... That's fascinating. You know, what, just, just to throw a bit of a tangent on there, when's Peveril Castle from Castleton? Peveril Castle was 1080-something as well. Right. Yeah, because that was the, the original, original castle. Yeah. I think the stone keep that's there now is maybe 11 or 1200. Okay. I think it's Henry the Third or something built that. Cool. But um, but yeah, the actual original castle I think would have been wooden, and that was one of William the Conqueror's knights, wasn't it? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Should we wander up to the next? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we've um, sort of taken that route then in the tideswell direction from the guide suit up onto the top now, following the old pack horse route and I can see something ahead like a stone thing sticking up on the top of the hill so we're going to get to that and um should we catch up with people there yeah let's do that yeah? all right let's catch up there <laughs> sorry mate <laughs> you're right dude. the dog's such a nine <laughs> 
almost at that stone pillar at the top of the hill. Um, we're just coming up to the rise now, and you were saying there's something interesting in this bit, Robin. Yeah, right. So if you look at the the, the track here, the pack horse route that we're walking on. First of all, when we first started on it, it was in a little bit of a depression, wasn't it? Yeah. So that's just erosion from years of well, potentially a thousand years of people walking and horses walking on it, just eroding it away. But here, you can see it's kind of braided. So what I mean by braided is there's there's several little remains of paths. If you look in the heather itself, as you're walking along, you can see lines in the heather all going in the same direction. And that's just where over the, the generations, the, the path itself has wandered, where people, you know, might have avoided a boggy patch and walked over and made a better path just next to it. And, you know, over, over time, these paths braid themselves out and, and wander a little bit. It's just an interesting little sign of what humans have been doing over a thousand years. Yes. Also, off to our right at the moment, you can see there's, a, there's an orange patch of, of, I can't remember the name of that grass, you'll probably know better than me, won't you? Over towards those trees in that small hill. Over there, yeah, I think Over it's to our um, east. Yeah, it's um, soft rush. Soft rush, yeah. okay. So that's, um, that just shows that bog, basically. That's, that's the bog where the second the sediment that. section came from. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, so it shows like if there's a lot of braiding going on here, more than you see in your average spot. Yeah. It shows how long this path has had to have that many generations of people avoiding puddles and retreading the path yeah. while the old bit dries out and then... Exactly. This is probably either. quite a... was probably quite a boggy bit anyway, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, clearly, yeah. Um, all right, so we're at a big cairn with a dog on it. Hi, Luna. There's a dog on the big cairn. So there's, there's, there's a few things about this cairn, isn't there, that are interesting? Yeah. One is that we've got another guide stoop stuck in the top of it. Um, and this guide stoop's really destroyed, isn't it? So someone's chopped the top off it. It's triangular, which is strange. The last one was square, and this was triangular. And it, you can, I've just moved it with one hand by accident, not because I'm really strong, but just because it's uh, <laughs> not very well set in. But you uh, are really strong. I'm really strong, obviously, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's also it's it's quite damaged isn't it it's quite well shot this is probably one of the ones that they destroyed and and, and chopped up they used you used to be able to find the top of it and i always say this on the on the stone circle hikes but i've never found the top of it since but i did find it once cool. back in the old days you can see the old bullet you. hole kicking around oh, yeah. um but this is this guy stoop is built into the top of a bronze age burial mound so what we're stood on now is it's quite a wide circle of stones isn't it quite a wide cairn yeah um and it's yeah it's one of the first ones we get to in this next cairn field this next settlement two hour south west at the moment is a massive cairn field it's got about two or three hundred burial mounds in it cool. just in this just that have been discovered in this small area and this is one of them it's the first one you get to from where on, on our route and just to our just to the southwest of the actual guide stoop stone you might see a small depression followed by a slight hump. Yep. This is basically where some antiquarians back in the Victorian period just dug a little little pit in the side of this burial mound, just trying to find some treasure, basically. Back in the Victorian period, they weren't exactly respectful of, of ancient monuments. They'd just dig them, try and find something valuable out of them, and then sell them to a museum. And then they'd just leave the remains as they were. Modern archeologists would, would record exactly where each stone was and put it back in the exact place it was so it would take them six or seven months to build to dig one burial mound whereas these guys would do several in a day <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> there was a, like a record i can't remember i think his name was oh, 
Wilkins. I quite something. It's quite, oh, Mitchell, that was it, Mitchell. Yeah. Back in the Victorian period, and he he has a record for digging. I think it was a hundred burial mounds in a day. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, if you compare <laughs> the olden days to now, um, that's yeah, the yeah, difference big, big in difference. quality. Yeah. yeah. Big difference on emphasis as well. I suppose they, they were sort of treasure hunting, right? Whereas yeah. we're now trying to record. That's right. Yeah. Trying to work out what's what people did back in. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was much more of a commercial thing back in the Victorian period, Victorian period than it is now. Yeah, cool. Cool. And from here as well, if we look, if we carry on looking away the way we've been walking, we'd be able to see a pole, which is the next guide stoop. Or if we look off to your left from the direction you're walking, you'll see another stone guide stoop. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and you can actually see, I think, three from this point, because there's another one back towards Barbrook. Um, I can't see it at the moment, but I know it's there, and I have seen it from this point before. A lot of the clouds coming over, aren't we? Yeah. And we're going to keep heading south. Yes, yeah, so we're going to head to that wooden guy. To the wooden pole, the that's there, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just as we're kind of setting off in that direction, Robin. Yeah. Um, you'd said on the on the Stone Circle tours about um, obviously evidence of the way the landscape's changed over time. Yes. Um, so and this is something that came again from the the marshes, the section of the marshes. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is something that JD probably knows a lot more than I do about. Um, but <laughs> so, with the decline of tree pollen, you find in these sections, there's there's a, a particular tree that that declined all at once, and it's it's kind of marked across the country actually, not just in this area, but it was the, the evidence for it was found in this area as well. It's called the elm decline. Right. Um, and it's, it's generally assumed and generally taken that that is the first sign of human habitation in, in this area. And that happens towards the end of the Neolithic, so about 4,000 years ago. Right. Um, and the elm decline is assumed to be where humans have started to pollard the tops of elm trees. JD, I'm sure, will tell about pollarding in a minute. Sure. Um, <laughs> but basically, Pollarding is, is essentially chopping the leaves and the, the top branches off trees so they can no longer reproduce, no, no longer produce pollen. So the pollen doesn't appear in the, in the, in the section, in the, in the archaeological re uh, record anymore. Right, and that's um, how they know that. That's how they know that. Some, so that's, they, they assumed that it was humans who were doing that. Okay. At the same time as, as um, the elm decline, you get in an increase in, in small shrubby plants and, and grasses as well. And there's one particular plant that, that sees a massive sudden increase. Uh, which is called ribwort plantain. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, so I know a bit about it, but JD knows even more, so it probably makes more sense for you to carry on at sure. this point. Well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not, I don't know a huge amount, but from what I know of kind of coppicing practice and that sort of thing, you, they'd be pollarding the trees. Um, so pollarding, it's like coppicing. So coppicing, you cut the tree back at the rootstock and it grows from the ground up in lots and lots of shoots and you can then use that material for um well all sorts really for for its timber for crafts and making stuff um i think also they possibly use the leaves of elm as a kind of a, a fodder a for fodder, wild yeah. stock and stuff uh, livestock and stuff um so but you can pollard trees above the ground so often that's done to protect the new shoots as they grow from grazing animals so if they were kind of living and farming in one spot and you don't want all of your you know proto sheep or whatever it was that they had at that time <laughs> um, eating the eating the green shoots that were coming up if you pollard it above where they can reach um then you get all your new shoots going higher up 
and it sort of protects the crop then I suppose. Um, and it's interesting because I'd learned that from you. I didn't know that when you pollarded something that stops it from being able to produce seeds. Yeah. So that's quite interesting that. Um, and then yeah, the sort of correlation with ribwort plantain. Again, all all what I know of ribwort plantain is it likes kind of quite hard, compacted ground. Uh, it likes the light, but it likes a bit of shade. So you tend to find it on like path sides and um, and forest edges and things like that where there's a there's a good amount of light but also some protection as well um but it likes hard packed ground so again you see it um on footpaths where the ground's been trodden really compact and that plant has a bunch of medicinal purposes so it's kind of anti-inflammatory and antibacterial um, properties inherent in the leaves um so it makes quite a good um like poultice for cuts and bites and things like that um, on the bushcraft courses we run, I've actually used it to treat horsefly bites on myself because I wow. get quite, I react quite badly to horsefly bites. Horseflies are horrible as well, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I tend to do all right with midges and stuff, but horseflies really get me. So um, all I do with the ribwort plantain is chew up the leaf. So make sure it's clean, a bit of a rinse or whatever. Chew it up and then literally spit that poultice, that chewed up plant matter onto the bite and leave it there for a while. and it. Um, more than anything, I've noticed the anti-inflammatory properties. It kind of brings the swelling down on the bite. It just right. makes it less painful, less itchy. Um, but you can also eat it. So it's a good salad plant. So when the leaves are young, you can just slice them and put them in salad. Oh, okay, um, isn't they when, that? Yeah, when they get a bit older, you can wilt them. So I suppose like you would say like a spinach or a kale or something. Yeah. Um, so just really quickly wilt it and then include it in a stir fry or whatever. And then the seeds as well. You can eat the seeds. And there is... Um, there's a good amount of kind of mucilage and sort of starch and stuff in the leaves. Uh, so in the seeds of ribwort plantain, um, Plantago lanceolata um, would be the Latin name, just to sound scientific for a second. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's um, it's a good amount of starch. So you can you can essentially grind the seeds up and make a really kind of coarse, rough flour almost to make a biscuit, um, which is quite nice. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Where where are the biscuits? Any. Uh, it's not a season. <laughs> <laughs> I ate them all. So basically, like a, a development, an increase in, in ribwort plantain pollen would suggest that the soil is becoming more compact because a natural forest without any sort of human activity would be pretty soft, spongy yeah, ground, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And it would also suggest that there's more light reaching the forest floor, yeah. which would also be the reason why more grasses, more grass pollen you find in as well, yeah, makes sense, which kind of correlates to human activity, deforestation and, and pollarding of, of elm. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, if you're chopping the branches and trees down, then there's going to be more light, isn't there? Yeah, so you get this kind of picture building up of a, a changing landscape. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so we've just arrived at the next... Um, is this a cairn, actually, or is it...? This is a cairn, yeah. So this is... There's a, there's a pole in this for some reason there's a wooden pole which is quite modern stuck into a disturbed can now i'd assume that originally there might have been a guide stoop here and it's been fully blown up by the military at some point in fact this stone here is quite square and it's carved as well you can see the pick marks yeah, in it can't you word, so there's, there certainly was a carved stone here at some point like a modern guide stoop um, there's a couple of bullet holes in it again. Oh, yeah. At the moment, we're we're pretty much on white edge, aren't we? Yeah, um, almost. Yeah, and this away. this whole edge was basically bombed and shelled by the military during the Second World War, just as training, basically. Um, so a lot of a lot of remains in this bit have been quite badly destroyed and damaged. There's still a few things kicking around that you can see. There's a there's a, there's a 
a burial mound off to our right. There's a couple off to our left as well, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. Um, but this is a very small cairn. Um, and because it's been disturbed, it's quite hard to work out what it was for. Um, it could be a clearance cairn because if you look around on the floor near it, there's no rocks around on the floor, is there? No, Within no, 10 or 20 metres of it. Um, so my guess would be a clearance cairn. It's quite small compared to the last burial mound, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Aye. So basically what they might have been doing here in the Bronze Age is just moving all the rocks from the, the ground around us, chuck it into a pile here so that they can cultivate the ground around it, basically. Okay. Because like almost we... like the cairn is not, they're not thinking about making a cairn. What no. they're doing is clear, it's the ground, the clear ground. So they've not intentionally made this cairn, they've just chucked it all there. Yeah. So what they might have done, there might be a great big earth fast boulder at the bottom of this that they couldn't move. Okay. So they just thought, because we can't use that bit anyway, we'll chuck all the other rocks on it. Cool. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense, yeah. Um, so this is what this probably was. And the, the guy stoops are quite often built into these cairns and burial mounds because they're a naturally higher bit anyway that's more visible, yeah. but also because the ground's quite solid. If they just shoved a, a pole into a bog, it's just sink. sink and disappear <laughs> yeah, after a while. Exactly. Right? So this is, they kind of intentionally aim for these, as did the, the, the pack horse roots. They'd aim for the higher bits of ground. So, you know, you can see the last one. It's actually on a raised... Ah, uh, yeah, see it, aye. See what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And intentionally aim, aim for, the, for the harder ground. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, wouldn't it, if you're a kind of Victorian or... Is it Victorian times, I guess? Yeah. Uh, it's just before, for 1700s, isn't it? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Who was king? It would have been Charles II. Charles II. Yes. So Charles's reign. Yeah. Um, Restoration rest period. There yeah. you go. But yeah, during that time, if you were, if I was, you know, up here being tasked with putting guide stoops in, yeah, you'd be looking for places that were high and with good yeah. foundations. So yeah. Because it's pretty brutal the weather up here, particularly in the seventeen oh, hundreds yeah. during the mini ice age. It was it would have been like pretty cold and yeah, yeah, uh, and miserable up here. Yeah, we're, I mean, wear out here on a nice day, and that wind's enough to cut through your layers a bit. Oh it? yeah, I'm in a fantastic dark pink down jacket. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's very nice actually. I, I do like those jackets a lot, and they do they do um, good good work for homeless people as well, don't they? So yeah. So for was it for every jacket they sell, they donate one to a homeless person. Yeah. yeah yes, I'm always always happy to give them yeah. a shout out. Yeah. No, they're, they're a great company, and from Sheffield as well. Yeah. yeah. So it's um, yeah, they're local. So we now stood on on White Edge. We've walked 50 meters away from the last guide stoop to the south to stand on White Edge. You should be able to see that on you on your OS. Yeah, map. it'll be on the route card, yeah. yeah. Um, from here, we're looking south towards several really green fields surrounded by dry stone walls. Um, and beyond that is another moorland that's brown. It should be quite easily visible. In the middle of there is a, is a massive stone. It's a, it's a natural tor called, Eagle, called the Eagle Stone. And around the Eagle Stone is another cairn field. It's another prehistoric settlement. Cool. Um, and the interesting thing about that is just beyond that eagle stone there is a, is a it's quite a wide large mound it's quite hard to see from here um but they found a lot of burials there, a lot of burial mounds and in each one were little pots with little cremations in them um and they managed to work out the gender of most of the people that were cremated in these pots okay and the, the kind of rough age and, and things like that just just from little bone fragments left over and yeah, you know, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and they worked out that basically for every cremation they could work out the age and sex of, every single one of them was, was female or a child. Right. Which is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Nobody really knows why, um, but it would appear that all the burials up there are uh, women and children. That's amazing. Yeah. And is that, that's, 
that's not particularly typical. I mean, most yeah, I was of them. Say it's atypical, yeah. yeah, so the, the burials around here are a mix, usual. Right. Um, you quite often do find in um, in in burial mounds that you know it's usually old people, children, and women. That's sure. that's kind of like the the abundant kind of deaths. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess it's a lot of death during childbirth. Yeah, it's a childbirth death. Like, Being a child is dangerous. Yeah, 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 and then old people as well. So you know, it's, that's kind of like the predominant deaths you find. But but yeah, it's, it's how, just kind of strange how, that that whole area there's only got women and children. How, how many people were? How, how many remains did you estimate? Uh, I think there's about a hundred. I can't, I can't remember it exactly, but yeah, yeah but a fair about, amount. About a hundred cremations. Yeah, so yeah. maybe fifty or sixty of those had were, were women and children. So oh, it's you know. That's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Cool. Where we're covering standing as well is there's um we we. So if, if we imagine the, the direction we've been walking in, um, the, the pack horse route carries on towards Baslow and, and Kerber Edge over there. Yeah. Um, and then we've got this footpath that cuts across us perpendicular, which is running along White Edge, basically. Yeah, okay. Um, so we're at that T-junction, we're, we're about to go left. Yeah, we're about to go left. And just to our left here is the remains of a stone circle, a ring cairn. Cool. So we'll just wander quickly over there to have a look. Yeah, yeah. It's quite hard to see. You can um, sort of see a rough, kind of raised, raised uh, ring, I suppose, in yeah. sections, a segmented one. It's like a rough arc you can see, can't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, and this, you can actually, just to our right here, there's a couple of stones where you can see that the, the, the geological bedding of the stone isn't in its natural position. So. So if you stand on some of these stones, you should be able to see this for yourselves, but there'll be some lines running across the stone. Oh yeah, I see those, um, striations in there. Yeah, yeah. Those lines should be laid flat, basically parallel to the ground. But on a couple of them, they're actually perpendicular to the ground. So these lines are, are, are sticking up. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking up. at them as I'm looking yeah. down. Yeah. So that stone isn't in its natural position. That's been stood up on its edge by something. Yeah. And whether that was by a human or by ice or by what's something called frost heave, which is where lenses of ice will develop underneath rocks like this during the ice age. And that'll right. naturally, when, water, when the water expands, push it up like that. Yeah, and actually, yeah. can actually make a rock stand on its end. Awesome. It could be that, um, but you know, this I know that this- Well, given that it sat perfectly in line with the ring of a- Yeah, exactly. Stone. And it is, this certainly was a ring cairn stone circle at some point. So this was the stone circle and ring cairn for this cairn field. It was actually recorded in a, in a journal from several hundred years ago that there used to be a stone circle here that's no longer here. And that's probably because of the amount of bombing and mortar shelling on this, on this white oh, edge yeah. that's been destroyed. As well, the, the Pacos route cuts straight across it. Yeah, sure. So that's just damaged that half of it, but you can still see this ring here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, once you know what you're looking for, it is quite obvious. Yeah. But yeah, I would have never seen it if I wasn't. Oh no, I think I wouldn't have spotted it if I didn't know it was here. Yeah, and in yeah. fact, if you look here, look, there's actually bullet holes in the side of this yeah, rock. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's just evidence that it has just been completely yeah, destroyed. Yeah. Cool. But you, there's a, you can sort of see that bank you're talking about though there. Where you've got that rock on its end and then behind it is a sort of a, a bank here, right? It flattens off backwards, doesn't it? Yeah, like away from the surface. So, so, so the, inner, the inner edge of the curve of the circle is, is steep. And the outer edge is, is kind of tapers down, doesn't it? It's yeah, like yeah. a Stossen Lee. Um, and that's something we'll see later on in a really well-preserved stone circle, actually. Cool. Um, yeah, so now we're walking east. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, well, it's just about midday for us, so the sun's nice and south in the sky, too. So as, we, as you're walking along here, you might see on the left, there's a, two or three mounds of stones that are slightly greener than the surrounding brownish grass. Yeah, yeah um, big obviously, tufts of reed, uh, soft brush growing next to them as well. Yeah, and those are all burial mounds. Oh. And there's, there's quite a lot of them. You'll, you, you'll start to look onto the moor over to your left and you'll start to spot loads of these little mounds all over the place. Yeah. And each one is a burial mound. Each each one at some point would have had some sort of cremation in it. Yeah, amazing. I remember when you when you first showed me those, I was certainly was seeing them everywhere. Like you yeah. can't go for a walk in the Peak District without seeing <laughs> burial mounds. No, there's too many, if anything, just in the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I remember like I've I've been stood on top of one looking for looking for cans yeah. and not being able to see one <laughs> <laughs> we're just as jd said stood on top of one we we stood on top of one. Oh yeah time that <laughs> <laughs> the one we've just walked over is is elongated it's almost like an hourglass shape and at one end of it is a is quite a large earth fast boulder so what might that be jd um that would probably be a clearance can i would yes. think because it's yes. irregularly shaped yep and it, like you say it's got that big earth fast boulder so if you're trying to let me, let me see if I got this right. You're trying to clear a field to farm on. Yeah. And there's a big massive boulder on it. Yeah. And you want to get rid of all the other little boulders. You can't move the big boulder. So why not just pile up all the little boulders on the big boulder? Exactly. And just, yeah. you know, give off that one spot as something that's... That's it, yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, they, they, with the burial mounds, they take real care with building them. So they're all pretty much perfectly circular. Um, and... You know, they, they use the same sort of sized rock as well. So all the rocks are similar sort of sized um, and they're, they're kind of well built. I've got like a real structure to them. So they generally have a bit of a curb around the edge or almost like the, like the edge of the dry stone wall. Cool. Whereas the clearance mounds, the clearance cairns, they're just rocks chucked in a pile. So yeah, they're all different shapes and sizes. They don't care about the shape of it. So that one's hourglass shape. Um, and they're usually piled up against something bigger. Cool. All right, so we've just arrived at um, quite a large sort of collection of loose boulders and rocks all gathered together. And a, um, I um, guess it's kind of like a tour or something, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of like the, the eastern end of, of White Edge, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Um, so all these, as you arrive then, you're going to find all these big broken rocks. Yeah. And we're looking for one in particular, right? We are, but in fact, all it's just we're looking for the best one. It's the one that we show everyone on, on the Stone Circles hikes. But it's actually pretty much all the rocks, if you look, uh, are covered in what we're about to talk about. Um, Pockmarks. Pockmarks, yeah. Are you going to put we, photos on this? Yeah, there'll be some photos, yeah. So we've got, my assumption when I first looked at these was that this is just weathering. You know, they they're been out exposed to these elements for all these eons. The wind and rain has kind of eroded them yeah yeah that was so, that was my kind of take on it so some of them might be that some of the especially the ones on the top um so for example if we look at a couple of them are kind of elliptical and they're quite rounded they're probably natural but what you've got is the vast majority of them they're actually bullet holes which blew my mind when you told me about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so if we're looking at this rock here this this big square orange one if you guys can find it that'd be we'd be pretty impressed actually yeah yeah um but it's covered in bullet holes and this one is particularly interesting because you can still see the actual bullets lodged in the rock yeah and how many can you see here there's what 
there's like five or six actual bits of bullet left still wedged in the rock from yeah, where it's been shot there's a few just like rust marks now but there's one or two where it's just like very definitely a bit of metal cylinder sticking out of the rock yeah which yeah. is amazing so that's been there for like 80 years isn't it? yeah from like the 40s yeah yeah it's incredible and on the rock behind us here we've got this kind of splatter mark where a mortar's hit it and it's sprayed out yeah yeah um and there's a really interesting rock in a minute isn't there that we that we show people that's got a real obvious oh yeah there's, there's almost crater. like a sunburst kind of on top yeah. of it yeah yeah just yeah amazing. that's just just to your right so if you're stood looking at this bullet riddled rock just to your right on top there's a, a flat rock um with a mortar blast on top of it so an impact scar scar where you can see where the sort of molten metals burnt this like i say it's almost like a sunburst yeah pattern. yeah it's blackened as well isn't it yeah, yeah. it is just to the side of the path so as you're walking along um just look for some flat rocks to, to the right hand side of the path and it's just in the middle of one of those yeah, yeah. cool cool right so what's um, what's next on the walk then as we're kind of getting off from these rocks um are we coming up to that clearance field yeah so we, we we're coming up towards um the field systems basically and there's, there's we've still got a lot of these burial mounds and cairns on our left there could quite easily have been a lot of burial mounds and cairns under our feet but they've all been blown up yeah okay. so if they were here if they were they're not anymore basically cool um, so i'm sort of thinking because we're getting back by the wind and i'm not sure what that's doing to the microphones at this point right if, um, if we leave people with the bullet scorched rocks here yeah and they can kind of carry on on their walk um maybe you can sort of see ahead of us a load of kind of loose white sort of light gray boulders yeah uh, a bit ahead so we'll go and find somewhere maybe where we can duck out of the wind a little bit and we'll tell you about those um uh, those sort of white gray boulders as you get there great oh. and just basically following along that footpath you're on yeah. on the route you'll you'll um come across uh, another set of kind of loose boulders as it looks like to me but there's a little bit more to the story isn't there there is yeah so so we've just basically hit into the main field system of, of this cairn field here so um the first set of rocks that you hit as you're walking on the path you should if you stand on top of them you should notice that it's actually in a line and this line curves away towards the the east and then the south and you'll, you'll actually spot that it's, it's actually curved around in almost like a rectangle um if you if you notice that the way you've just come from is pretty clear of rocks and the way you're about to go has a lot of rocks in it and that's that's something that's happened intentionally so basically what they've done here is is cleared a little patch of ground here of rock and they've just thrown it towards the edge of this area and whether they've intentionally or just inadvertently built this this kind of linear barrier around it it's uncertain but either way that this this barrier here has been built from clearance from this small field so it could just be a little edge of a field they might not have used it as an actual wall or anything it might just be a visual boundary between two sets of crops but they've certainly cleared that area and left the next small area full of naturally strewn around rocks yeah yes yeah, so if you if you're looking as you're walking through you'll you'll notice that there's kind of a space that's devoid of all boulders and then the space is quite a lot of boulders as you walk into it. Yeah. So yeah, it kind of demarcates some land, some different land use, eh? Yeah, it's basically a little yeah. field. So yeah, as you continue walking this way, yep. 
So kind of, um, is there an, is there anything else, like another boundary or something just ahead of us, or was that, was that it? Yeah, so this, this happens quite a lot, actually. If you, um, if you were to look at this on a satellite image, you'd, you'd notice that basically the whole hillside is, is covered in rectangular field system. So we're walking along here and then we're about to hit another, it's a really rocky area, and hopefully you guys will notice another linear bank going in the same sort of orientation to the last one. And then just on the other side of it is again another uh, field basically that's been cleared with no rocks in it. Cool. And the same thing happens over and over and over. Several years ago in, I think it was 2016 maybe, when it was a really dry summer and you know, there was a hosepipe ban and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, all the ground here was was scorched, and you could you could basically see all these linear bands on the ground running all the way down the hillside, really well because oh. of because of the sun basically because of the sun baking the ground, and it made everything stand out. And it was really obvious to just just huge rectangular patches of land that had been built by prehistoric period people. Oh, awesome! The other thing you so can see quite on. well is if you look back towards the original path we took. From the original guide stoops, you can see loads of mounds. Like how many can we see here, JD? You can't even count yeah, them, can you? Yeah, well above sort of 20, maybe 30. Yeah, so many mounds, half of which are probably burial mounds. A lot of them could be clearance. But you can really see now that it's a, quite a substantial field system. It's not just, you know, a small family digging and messing around. This is, this is quite a formidable settlement, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if they're, you know, even if like a third of those are burial mounds, that's a, still a significant amount of dead people. Exactly, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, generations worth of people living here. Yeah, and if you bear in mind as well that each burial mound probably had three or four actual burials in it. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's quite a, quite a lot. The other yeah, thing it's... you should notice as well is that these burial mounds, clearance cairns, field systems, everything, they're not, they're not separated off into specific areas. So it's not like you've got one area that's meant for burials, one area is meant for fields, one area is meant for clearance or whatever. They're all together, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, all kind of on top of each other. Yeah, it's just, it suggests something very different to our modern society about their attitude towards life and death, basically. Yeah, it's kind of all just mingled in together rather than, you know, there doesn't seem to be a cemetery where you go no, <laughs> and no. think about it. it's just there in the back garden exactly yeah. yeah we've just walked over several linear linear mounds and features and again between them there isn't a single rock on the ground and yeah, then, very clear except for these except for the mounds themselves the mounds themselves yeah yeah, yeah. So they're clearly clearing things aren't they and and, and making oh, these definitely. little fields definitely all right so that's through most of those kind of field systems and things now. I've, I can see the twiglet guide stoop sticking up <laughs> just above the hill. So um, for you walking along, we'll head up to that guide stoop and carry on actually in the same direction. And what you'll find is that your path drops down, gets through a bit of heather and a bit of bracken, uh, back down to the stream that we were at initially right. where we are talking about soil samples. So what we'll do is we'll meet you at the stream. Perfect. I think, have a bit of a break. Um, so just enjoy, enjoy being outdoors really and um, we'll meet you back at the stream for more Stone Circle Waffle. Well, 
All right, welcome back, welcome back. So we're just dropping, just about to drop down to that stream then, so you can see the banking dropping off ahead of us. You uh, might have noticed that we passed two broken down guide stoops on the way to this point, um, on your way to the stream. The last one, you may have even noticed, had some letters on it. Yeah, it says B-A-S, and that's the remains of the word Baslow. Yeah. Um, so the direction we've just come from, so if you're facing this side, the side that says BAS. If you face that and look right, as we said earlier, then that way would go to Baslow. Cool. So that makes sense to what we we're saying about the, the first guide stoop we saw, um, where we said that one of the surfaces had been obliterated. Yeah. It kind of all winds up then to that, which yeah. is quite nice. So we're heading back from this one to that original guide stoop. Yeah, that's it. Well, we're, we're on our way down to that stream as well, aren't we, sir? So yeah. We'll, um, we'll get down there and we'll um, navigate onto the next part of the walk. Great. Yes, yeah, so we're now down by the stream. Um, as you've come down that hill, you'll have, you should have recognised that um, you were at a pretty similar spot to earlier in the walk. Um, if you follow the stream down, downstream, downhill, um, watch your step. It can be a little bit slippy on this bit, but we're going to meet the uh, the sort of larger stream that feeds out of that reservoir. Uh, trying to get across that and back up the hillside, you can see there's kind of a, a footpath going up by the side of a um, I think it's a rowan tree actually and a birch tree um, there's a couple of ways to get across this stream one of them is to just jump on the big boulder uh, the other one if you go a little bit a little bit upstream you'll find a uh, a nicer spot to go over but here I go I just need a big rock to make a splash noise now and it sounds like <laughs> I've fallen in <laughs> but yeah so as well sorry yeah no go for it no go for um, it back in the valley we've just come from on the right if you look back up the valley on the right hand side um is uh, an adder nesting ground cool um yeah so you were telling me that that was um installed by one of the wildlife trusts that's right okay. i heard the pink park did it cool okay um, and they basically just buried a load of, of terracotta pipes in the hillside there um for the adders to nest in brilliant yeah so we tell people that after they've been through the area yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well we've never seen one have we Never. I've never seen one in the Peak District, have you? No, I've seen them up on Warncliffe, where we run the courses. Oh, right. Uh, okay. Right on the top of the moorland up there, uh, that, that heathland. Yeah. But, um, no, I don't think I've seen one in the Peaks, no. I've seen one in North Wales and the lakes and the dales, but I've never seen one here. All oh, right. Which is strange, considering um, It's supposed to be really populous, day. isn't it? Yeah. I think it depends on the moor, doesn't it? I think so, yeah. They're, they're also really shy, so if it's... I mean, relatively well-walked footpath around here, so they'll be yeah. used to kind of hiding. Yeah. yeah and we so. have been talking away the oh, whole yeah. time. Yeah, we've not been quiet. Um, so we've got up to the top of the hill and turned right on kind of a pretty modern, established track at this point, eh? Yeah. Um, making our way to the last two stone circles, is it now? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Last two stone circles and several of the bigger and more impressive burial mounds. Brilliant. So, so far on the walk we've been having to work I suppose quite hard to see the remains. Like once you know what you're looking for it's obvious. Yeah. I remember the first time I did this walk with you I was like oh, okay so suddenly I could see it because I knew what to look for. Yeah. Um, whereas these final two they're pretty hard quite to miss easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> The path pretty much goes straight through the middle of them. Yeah. Um, and they're really obvious. I mean, 
what you've got to look out for as you're walking along is just you kind of expect the hillside to naturally be rounded and smooth yeah so like unless it's a you know a cliff or a landslide or something like that you're not really going to get angular patches of, of hill yeah so if you if you walk along and you spotted like a lump randomly sticking out in the middle of a flat field chances are that's man-made cool and if, yeah. if you spotted that here on this hillside it's almost certainly prehistoric and a burial mound or a clearance cairn. Brilliant. So it's, that's, that's what you're looking for. Yeah, it's good, man. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> it's more like on behalf of the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> you can have it. <laughs> but it's amazing for me, like this walk on paper, it's quite a sort of nondescript just it's, it's almost like a dog walk you know you're just kind of out it's, there's no, nothing really to contend with the views are, are great on that white edge yeah but you know it's kind of it it looks like a, a dull walk that wouldn't make it into a, a walking guidebook yeah. for example it's not like walking on the mantle or ridge or anything yeah like exactly it? yeah however there's so much here that once you know what you're looking for i then like look at pretty much any walk i do any at any point now even if it's somewhere i've been a thousand times I'm constantly now pondering and looking and going, oh, I wonder why that's there like this and what's made those rocks do that? Yeah, exactly. You've ruined all my walks. <laughs> Just walking around treasure hunting from now on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even look, if you look to our left now, you see there's these little holes in the ground everywhere. Yeah. I mean, that's, they're not made. They're just little bits of, little bits of either quarry from people digging bits of rock out of the ground for whatever reason, fence posts, yeah. building stone, whatever. Or just digging it out for Rockford to build this track. Yeah, maybe. Hi. So it's you know it's you'll start to spot just just features everywhere and realise that actually most of it, if it's if it's significant, it's probably man-made. Yeah, and then you can start daydreaming about what um, what the people that did that there were doing, what they were doing with their lives, why they were excavating or yeah. making whatever marks they were making. So we've been walking along this track, what, close to a kilometre by the time we need to take the turn? Something like that, yeah. Not far off. Um, so we're kind of rounding around, we've got big exposed views on our right, all the way down to, um, is that Gardam Edge, that, that so flat the, plateau? So the edge on the, on the right is Gardam's Edge, the edge on the left is Birchin's Edge. Cool, okay, yeah. Um, with the roads in between us. And yeah. is that... You know, we mentioned earlier about there being a toll road which made that pack horse route. Yes, um, so the one um, driving kind of towards us yeah. is the toll road, yeah. Brilliant. So that's what made yeah. the pack horse route obsolete. That's it, yeah. Cool. And Garden's Edge and Birchin's Edge are fascinating as well because both of those have prehistoric remains on as well. There's two yeah. more villages, one on each. Garden's Edge is particularly interesting because it has a stone circle, it has three standing stones, one of which is the biggest standing stone in the Peak District. Yeah. And it has two bits of Neolithic rock art, so, oh, so okay. carvings in the rock. So one of them is like spirals, and they, they call it Ladybird's Dreaming because one of them is like a circle with dots in it. Oh, very and cool. Two, two spirals, and they're about four or five thousand years old. And another one is just a couple of holes with circles around them. That sounds fascinating. So maybe, maybe in the new year we should run a, a new set of stone circle walks on that hillside. Yeah. Oh yeah, that'd be great. It's really interesting. And it was yeah. dug in the 90s, I think, in the uh, archaeological digs. Brilliant. 
and yeah, pretty, some fascinating yeah. stuff up there. Yeah, right. So yeah, if you enjoyed this walk and you want to do one with us in real life, just um, keep an eye on the website and we'll um, we'll get that one on there. I reckon Perfect. that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, and nicely timed as well. We're just about to turn off, aren't we? Yeah. Um, off the main track. So. Um, so you've you've obviously got your bend. map to help you, but there's yeah, go go for it. There's that big bend. A bit of a bend in the track, and then there's also it's, it's like a vague, like a wide but but shallow valley, isn't there? Coming yeah. in from from the right and left. From the left, yeah. Um, and then on the left, there's a pretty pretty decent sort of waist high standing stone. That's right, yeah. yeah. And there's a, there's an obvious little path going towards yeah, it as yeah. well. So we're going to take that side track now, leave the main track, um, head up that sort of shallow valley to that one. Um, one stone that you can see um, and yeah we're kind of on on the homeward stretch I suppose aren't we taking yeah. in these last couple of um, couple of stone circles and um, oh, of course there's the big impressive burial cairns aren't they yep the big oh, burial I totally mound. forgot about that awesome <laughs> very excited JD just trying to ramp up the enthusiasm <laughs> for our Radio 4 listeners <laughs> Now in in Barbrook One Stone Circle, basically, which you should be able to see quite easily. Cool. Up, uphill is the rest of the circle. Um, so the circle, the stones themselves, the orthostats themselves, are set into the ring cairn. Like we mentioned earlier, all stone circles have a ring cairn around them. Yeah, that's that um, sort of embankment on the on the outside. That's right. right yeah. yeah. So it's like a bank of stones going around them. Yeah. Um, but not all ring cairns have a circle of stones. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> this one's got 14 stones in it, standing stones, orthostats, and then it's got the ring cairn itself. Brilliant. So um, the standing stones are called orthostats. Orthostats, yeah. Cool. And as with the last two stand, uh, stone circles, they're, they're, it's on the edge of the cairn field. So our cairn field now is kind of uphill to the left from the direction we've just came from. Yeah. Um, and there's actually a very big burial mound just on the other side of the stone circle. It should be quite obvious from where you guys are standing now um, that we'll yeah, that, up and have a look at. Yeah, to, to my eye, it sort of looks like a pile of stones with a kind of grassy almost like a turf top yeah. on it uh, and there was as, as, as we got here there's a beautiful um song thrush sat on there oh was there just in the sun as, uh, we, as we started chatting we, um, we frightened it off we frightened it off <laughs> but, um, um, do the interesting thing about this particular stone circle actually is it's yeah. not if you notice that not the stone circles aren't in really obvious prominent positions are they no so if you compare them to again what we we expect from a stone circle a lot of the famous ones like stonehenge arbor low avery they're, they're in real obvious top of the hill like pride of place position. type spot, yeah the peter shook stone circles and the bronze age stone circles don't do that um they're in the it's in the in this little dip isn't it yeah on the side of a hill in a, in a valley if anything it's like it almost seems purposefully obscure yeah like they put it out of the way almost exactly yeah, yeah. so it kind of again adds credence to what we said earlier about it, it not necessarily being a really big obvious monument or a way marker or anything like that it's yeah, there's something else going on. So yeah, it must be ceremonial. Why else would they do this if it's not, not for a ceremony? But it's not necessarily meant to be impressive or formidable or intimidating or anything like that. It's just yeah. a nice little thing. It may be, one, one theory is that it's the actual act of building the stone circle itself that is the ceremony, not the end product. Uh, so just like, um, like a, a ritual dance yeah. that, you might, that you find in cultures, the actual building of the circle is the yeah. thing that's like like a barn bit raising in in the amish culture or something like that it's yeah, the actual yeah. building of it 
And it could be that every time uh, uh, people move into an area, they could rebuild the same circle. And you know, you, you don't really know. Yeah, There's yeah. so many of these settlements. I mean, we've walked past three can fields just on this walk with all the same structure, basically. They've got a stone circle just on the edge, which is the first thing that was built. And then they've got burial mounds, field systems and clearance cans. Yeah. And they've all got that. Um, so maybe it's the same people moving from Canfield to Canfield to Canfield. That's like rotating round. Yeah, leaving their original fields fallow while they move to another one and then they come back to it at a later date. And maybe every time they do that, they rebuild the stone circle as a, yeah. as a ceremony. Because it's always the first thing that, that's in the area. Yeah. Or maybe not. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. That's yeah. what's fascinating about that's it. That's what's so it? interesting about <laughs> it. <laughs> so should we carry on to that, um, to that burial yeah. cairn then? So just slightly uphill to the big pile of stones. Um, and already though, from here, so if I kind of, I'm sort of playing the role of somebody that's new to this and, and doesn't know anything. Yeah. I can already tell that there's a, a, a definite structure to that, like man-made. Um, it looks like a dry looks stone like a dry wall. Stone wall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's al already this is standing out to me as something that's, yeah. that's of interest. Yeah, and it's different to those little tiny little clearance cans, isn't it? That are all like a weird shape. Oh, you'd yeah. almost not even notice them, wouldn't you? Yeah. This one's really obvious. And it's even more obvious because it isn't, it isn't covered in grass like the other ones are. So this one's been excavated? Yes, right? this one has been excavated. So um, this is basically what it might have looked like when it was first built. So it's, it's much more obvious and prominent now, isn't it? It's actually, if anything, more obvious and prominent than the stone circle we just walked past. Yeah, definitely. It? Yeah, yeah, I would say um, so. Yeah, so it's got an obvious kerb. There's a dry stone wall built all the way around it. Yeah. Um, with this one in particular, you'll notice that if you stand on top of it, Half of it is still covered in grass and half of it isn't. That's because it was dug in the 1960s. Um, and what they used to do is just draw a line literally down the middle of a, of, a, of a burial mound and excavate half of it and leave the other half unexcavated. Ah, cool. And they found it? something like 10 burials in the excavated half. So you'd assume there's another 10 in the other half. So it's, sure. you know, it's like a lot of, a lot of people buried in this. Yeah. And they're all in little cremations, little pots. And they're, they're, they're buried into that it's not like 20 people dropped dead and they built this cairn for them. Is that they're putting one cremation in at, as, at, at a time as somebody dies or? Presumably, there's no way of knowing. We don't know, right? Yeah, okay, so, cool. so they could have all been put in at the same time. They could have been just collecting dead people. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, um, like, uh, I suppose, yeah, it might be that, you know, every 10 years, they take all the cremations that have happened and yeah. have a and thing for them. But yeah. again, like, who knows? Like, there's no way of knowing. The only way you'd ever know is if Let's say, for example, um, every time someone dies, they'd open the burial mound up again, put a cremation in, and then cover it again. Yeah. The only way you'd ever know if that had happened is if a soil or some vegetation built up, and then that was very time. Yeah. Yeah. But that's. I mean, this was digging dug in the '60s, and the grass still hasn't grown back on that left on that yeah, on that yeah. bare side. So yeah, that's. That's 60 years ago and no grass has come back. Yeah, so yeah. if let's say the life expectancy back then probably wasn't even 60 years, it was probably like 40 or 50 years, sure, if yeah, that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's no way that a grass would would grow back yeah, fast enough for, for people to, to, to bury them. So there'd just be no way of knowing when it was. You could try carbon dating the actual cremations themselves, but, but with carbon dating, you've got an error of about 100 years. Right, so, yeah, so again, like, again yeah, it'd be yeah. really difficult to, to work out. But, you know, so, so your guess is as good as mine. I'd, I'd say that for a burial this size that has several burials in it, chances are it was used for a long time, you yeah. know, 
if it just had one burial in it, you'd assume it was someone important. Sure. And what that importance is, you'd never know. It could be a, a chief of a tribe, or it, or it could be someone's mother, or it could be an important child, or you know, or it could be that in their culture, you know, criminals are the ones that get buried in mounds, and everyone else gets buried just on the ground. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it could yeah. be that this is actually yeah, a like, murderer. Yeah, they've been denied a sky burial. Sort of exactly, thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or they've again. been denied like a Viking <laughs> sail out to sea. <laughs> yeah. But you don't know, do you? It could just be like whoever's in this is, you know, they're actually shaming him by putting him in this mound. So, yeah. you know. How would we know? Nobody knows. It's such a, it's such an old, there's, there's no evidence at all. There's no written evidence or anything like that. There's no record to say what their yeah. societal structure was. Do the so interesting thing about this mound. I was just going to say, tell me, tell me my favourite part of this. <laughs> <laughs> so if you stand on the side of the mound that is opposite to the stone circle, if you will. So if you stand facing the mound and facing the stone circle, and I think that would be the northeastern side. Yeah, I think that's about right. Navigation's yeah. right. Um, you'll you'll notice that there's a small paved section on the floor. It's about what four five four meters wide. Yeah, maybe a and bit longer. It comes longer, out by five. about a meter and a bit yeah. from the burial mound, and it's flat. This is called the the ceremonial platform. This is the the name given to it. And this is where it's assumed ceremonies happened for. The burial mound for the for the barrow, as as, as you call it. Yeah. Um, and the evidence for that is is the finds that you get within the the, the platform. So you, you get you get things buried within the mounds themselves. You get like grave riches. So, and in these ones, you're probably not likely to get like gold or anything like that. But what you might get is um, some jewellery. So maybe a bit of bronze or maybe a bit of, well maybe not bronze, but you might like get beads and things. Beads and things. Yeah. So one of them had a shale bead bracelet in it for example right. a lot of pottery a few stone tools this i think this one had a big chunk of lead ore which is called galena um which the closest place to find that is probably stony middleton which is i don't know 30 miles away from it's here it's a fair way isn't it yeah right? um more than the day's journey there and back oh yeah definitely yeah so you know they would bury grave goods in here but what they'd find on the ceremonial platform is is loads of pieces of smashed pottery and they worked out that it's basically intentionally smashed pottery because of the way the fractures occur in the pots themselves. So, so first of all, the pots, there's no evidence that the pots were used for anything else at all, for food or anything. There's no wear on them. They're pretty, you know, unused. Yeah. But also they have what's called conchoidal fractures where they've been, like, they've been smashed with a force. You know I mean? They've not just been left to decompose and crumple or been trodden or anything like that. They've been intentionally yeah. smashed on this ceremonial platform. And you find all these little bits of... Uh, little bits of pots and stuff in amongst the yeah, rocks. That's, that's the amazing bit, yeah. So the conchoidal fractures are impact fractures then, so yeah. that's the bit I love about that, the fact that there's physical evidence uh, of the action of somebody throwing a pot down Actively to the ground. smashing things, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with force. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. Which again could be interpreted as, as sadness or anger, couldn't it? Yeah, or you joy, I mean? even like, or you know, joy. just, you know, celebratory, like the Greeks at the weddings, yeah? Yeah. Smashing plates. That's it. It could be. <laughs> yeah. It's but this is this this ceremonial platform is something you quite commonly find on the bigger burial mounds like this. Really? Yeah. Sometimes it might only be, you know, a metre wide, a metre yeah. long. This but is this quite, one's quite, quite a formidable one, isn't it? Quite big. Really? Yeah. Excellent. Alright, so we are gonna head to the, the final stone circle, right? Yes. So we're just about at the at the track actually, so just above the burial mound, the barrow uh, is a track. So we're gonna get to that and go left. Um, we'll meet you at the stone circle, so we'll kind of let you come across the stone circle on your own because yeah. it's hard, it's impossible to miss. 
as you're going across this footpath though you'll notice um, there are more of the kind of burial mounds and, and things on the side of the path as we go down it. Is that That's right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so keep an eye out for those. Look out for the um, burial mounds. You can see where some of them have been excavated and they've got that kind of donut shape where the middle has been pulled out. And yeah, we'll see you in about well, five minutes, I reckon, yeah. at the, at the yeah. stone circle. Yeah. So we've stood in Barbrook 2 stone circle. Um, so we've got one entrance that's, that faces north, and it's really obvious, you can really see the ring can now. Um, and if you look, if you look from the inside, you should be able to see several standing stones, orthostats, sticking up. And they don't stick up far from the actual ring can, do they? No, no, a couple of inches if that. So if you compare this stone circle now to the original one we saw, which is called Barbrook 3, so the first one we saw, this is what that one would look like if you stripped all the grass and vegetation back. Yeah. And it would look like this. So this, this is, looks like this because it's been excavated in my This has time. been excavated, yeah, it's got excavated in the 60s at the same time as the previous um, burial mound. Yeah. But at the moment, how many can we see? One, two, three, four, five, maybe six, maybe six seven, yeah. standing stones. There's a couple of other places where there probably would have been one originally as well, like yeah, over there. Yeah. There is quite a big stone slab that's been laid down to the edge that's maybe been moved at some point. Yeah. And what's also got in it is two little burial mounds. One is an obvious can. At the moment, it's got a little necklace stuck in the middle of it. <laughs> Somebody's left, yeah. <laughs> um, and there's a few, you can see where someone's been having little fires and stuff, can't you? People yeah, you can a Making bit, yeah. offerings and stuff. And then just to the left of it is, um, you should be able to see about four little stones that are kind of in a vague square. And there's actually a, a fifth stone that's that's buried under the ground on the southern side. This is what's called a kist. Okay. So the larger flat stone to the north, um, that would have been the lid. And the other four stones um, were arranging it in a bit of a square. And in the middle of that square would have been a couple of cremations, a couple of burials. Okay. Um, and kist is spelled C-I-S-T. Um, and yeah, so this has been robbed at some point by someone. This is quite common. You quite commonly find these in the middle of, of burial cairns and burial mounds. And this one just happens to be in the middle of the stone circle. Right, right. And this is actually the second kiss that you can find on this walk if you yeah. want to go and look for it, right? So one of the things that we do on the stone circle walks that we run is take people to a really obscure kist that's kind of out of the way he's sort of hidden in the bracken next yeah. to a big earth fast boulder so what we thought we'd do with this episode is um on the show notes on the website at howbushcraft.com there's we'll leave you a grid reference so if you want to go and yeah. find it um as kind of a supplement to the walk that's um, right. you'll, you, you you may have already even read it as you kind of looked at this episode but it'll be it'll be on there if you want to go find it the best way to find it without with with using the grid references as well is the twiglet shaped guide stoop which is the second to last one we come to yeah and right. the first one you come to after all the field systems and the, and the clearance banks and all that yeah once you get to that if you turn kind of 90 degrees right from the path and walk downhill and look for a large earth fast boulder and it's just on the other side of that yeah yeah it's a bit of a fun little um, treasure hunt for people if they want to go and do that yeah but um but yeah i mean this stone circle like I say, one, because it's been excavated, you can see it so much more obviously yeah. as to what it would have looked like, I suppose, yeah. in, in some way or the time it used to be. 
And it's um, much more impressive as well, isn't it? Well, what struck me when I first got here was how modern it looked. Like the stones are, are so neatly kind of set up that you were saying that you know some people question whether they'd rebuilt it properly or not because it's so yeah. beautiful. Some people think that the archaeologists, when they dug it in the 60s, actually rebuilt it incorrectly. They rebuilt it with a modern mindset of it looking like a dry stone wall. But actually, I, I read a couple of journals from the archaeologists who dug it and from before it was it was actually dug and they said it always looked like a dry stone wall on the inside right. and it tapers towards the outside. So they've actually rebuilt it pretty well compared to what it was recorded as looking like beforehand. Yeah, yeah. But also when we looked at um, an earlier stone circle, the one that was ruined towards uh, yeah. the, the end of white the pack horse track and yeah. white edge, on the inside edge of, of the remaining curve of that stone circle was much steeper than the outside edge, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was. Aye. So it's actually, actually makes it sense make that sense. it would look like this. If you think about Barbrook 1, which is the last stone circle we just walked past, that's been, that's got two footpaths running straight over the top of it. So that's a lot more ruined than this one is. Yeah. And the original stone circle, the first one we saw, is still so overgrown, you can't really see the bank at all. So. But you could you could potentially make a good argument for excavating at least part of that, just because to see. just to see what the wall structure does look like to compare. Yeah. But I mean that that first stone circle we saw that was completely in the ground, we yeah. counted twenty stones up there. Yeah. And there's how many did we just count here? Maybe eight, ten. You just say ten. So it's yeah. Half. Not even many. that. Seven. Seven. Yeah. So I imagine that that stone circle that's in the ground up there will be quite an impressive one if it yeah. did get excavated. Yeah. Yeah. So although to us because it's overgrown looks visually the least impressive actually probably was the most impressive of all of them yeah it could be i mean it's not got the biggest stones but it, it certainly covers the biggest area yeah, yeah and there was a burial off to the side of it as well so you never know what you'd find in the middle yeah like with these ones. so in here then so we've got this obviously this beautiful kind of low dry stone wall circle there's a burial mound in here right yeah and then the kist as well and then the kist just to the side of it fantastic yeah that's brilliant. It's only got one entrance. Most stone circles have two or three entrances. This right. has only got one. Yeah. That's fascinating. All right. Well, thank you. Um, thanks very much, Robin, for taking me on this walk. I'm gonna. My pleasure. I'm gonna leave people here in uh, in this stone circle. The way back, you've got your maps, but it's just carrying on the footpath you're on back towards the car. Um, and uh, and yeah, we'll leave you there. So thanks very much, and uh, awesome. join us on the next episode. Great. Cheers. Awesome, mate. Thanks for listening. The podcast is hosted by Jamie Dakota and Max Barnes. Music is created by Stephen Goodwin. For more information about our courses, podcasts, articles and more, go to howbushcraft.com. bump into in a stone circle. <laughs> oh, Max has. I'm just like wondering, I'm like, oh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>
in a rut. Oh, yeah. Go on, Max, you, you tell us all about it. No, I can't. No, I know, oh, actually. No, this is good. So you can see the standing stones now. Open up. 